Today, we are talking about censorship. Really? Seriously, we are trying to ban books, burn books, remove them because, because they're, they're too mature and that's a scary thing. What happened? This, this, this has not been an issue for years and, and, and I take my view of censorship and put it at the forefront um, uh, this, this discussing recent developments with such acclaimed collections such as Mouse. And if we're going to censor stuff, let's start with the Bible. I'll, I'll walk you through how R-rated the Bible is. The, the most published, best-selling book of all time uh, is, as, is as mature and bloody and R-rated as you could ever possibly imagine. And then we get to management, DC Comics. How is it that, 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 that HBO Max is, is the face of the most daring moves that, that, that DC Entertainment is producing at this time. Peacemaker, a, a character that most people have never heard of, is making more noise, is taking more risks than anything going on in the publishing arm. How is that even possible? We discuss that and a whole lot more on today's episode of Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Observations. Observations born of comic books becoming movies, becoming TVs, becoming streaming, becoming toys, becoming video games. Uh, comic books has been the secret hack for all of pop culture success in the last two decades, or at least that's how it seems to me. And I talk about how it looks and feels to me as I have been re- receiving this um, consuming this for the last 45 years, 47 years of my life. It is a lifelong edition. I love sharing it with you guys today. We have got we've got a jam-packed episode because there just seems like there's so much going on that 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 fits into the pop culture graphic novel comic book space. And the first and most important thing I want to speak out on is any sort of I mean any sort of censorship. It's uh it's really popped up in the last couple weeks. Uh, and, and it makes me wonder what happened. Like, how can we be rocking in the free world when we are being told to like by artists, other artists about other artists that if you don't like this stuff, uh, I don't want you to have access to my stuff. And, and, and this isn't just, you know, about music and podcasts it's also about about the 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 banning of books, which is archaic. Like I, I didn't know anyone was banning books anymore, but um, you know the 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 idea that that Mouse is somehow now come under fire. This award winning work by Art Spiegelman that 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 has been you know celebrated for years after years after years, and it, and is now being discriminated against in that people don't want you know don't want the, 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 the scary material, um, to be exposed. And, and, uh, mouse has, has been critically acclaimed since, since it arrived, you know, on the scene, uh, existing in, in the space from 80 to 91, uh, all of the collections that have just, you know, garnered so much acclaim and it is truly a genius work depicting, uh, with, you know, with animal depictions of rats and, and cats, but it's not nearly that simplistic. It's a very serious material. It, it took very serious, horrific material about the Holocaust and uh, and and presented it in this very thoughtful, uh, brilliantly executed graphic novel by Art Spiegelman, who wrote and 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 I was going to say directed it. He absolutely did direct it on paper by illustrating it. And and then of course now this this material is is threatening people and they want them banned they want it removed from libraries kids not to have access to it I, I got to tell you I always felt that comic books helped mature me whether it was Reed Richards verbose uh, and 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 very expansive you know uh, uh, vocabulary the knowledge the words Stanley often spoke of how he prided himself on putting bigger words that required a greater understanding. Maybe, maybe you ran to the dictionary, um, 
you know, the thesaurus, whatever, an encyclopedia to understand the concepts, the words, the definitions that he was throwing out there. And trust me, I did. I would go to the library. I would look some of the words up. Obviously, there was no, I say this all the time, but it's important to really underscore. There was no Google. There was no uh, laptops in 1975, 76, 77. I mean, anytime uh, Reed Richards, and again, we've covered extensively on the comic book show. If you've listened to the show for any period of time, I've covered that that for a decade in the 70s, uh, the Fantastic Four, 70s to 80s, the Fantastic Four and, and, and Spider-Man were the twin towers of success for Marvel. It wasn't the Avengers as much. It wasn't the X-Men. It was... Uh, Fantastic Four, which which found so much popularity, they 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 spun Thing, the Thing, Ben Grimm into his own showcase book called Marvel Two and One, where he would team up with a different Marvel superhero, or sometimes you know Human Torch, they would do that. Uh, he also in 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 Marvel team up, they spun off from Spider Man, eventually giving him a third Spider Man book in Spectacular Spider Man, and then rewarding him with a fourth in Web of Spider Man. Um, all the while, during this period reprinting uh, late 60s adventures of Spider-Man in a in a reprint book called Marvel Tales that showed up every month, sometimes with new covers, and World's Greatest Comics was the same conduit for older material via uh, that, that featured Fantastic Four. So, so Marvel knew exactly uh, how popular both of these characters were, and with Peter Parker or Reed Richards, or I'll even go so far as to say Tony Stark, all of the science-based stuff that they would talk about, even if it was kind of, you know, um, comic book science, uh, not uh, phony science, uh, they used big, expansive words, you know, um, ultimate nullifier. You know, had someone said nullify to me prior to my being seven or eight years old, because that's how old I was in 1976, you know, when Galactus is battling the, uh, the high evolutionary for the fate of mankind on a counter-Earth, I mean, again, uh, parallel universes. Uh, you know, I saw an article the day before I came on the air, like, what is the metaverse? As we, as, and this was from NBC News. This wasn't from comicbook.com. This wasn't from Daily Variety, Deadline. This wasn't from any of the genre stuff. This is ABC and NBC News are putting out what is, as we careen towards the metaverse, what exactly is it? And it's obviously this awareness that we all have. And what it really covers is how people only speak to their own base anymore and they feed the base all that the base wants to hear they're no longer worried about educating or expanding themselves or their base they just need to feed their base with whatever their base requires and that base may be far left middle left far right middle right whatever and uh and and, and so the metaverse is kind of this echo chamber that we're creating for each other. But imagine hearing about metaverses and multiverses, you know, when you were a kid. Again, I've, I've gotten extensive uh, podcasts covering all of these concepts and how, how I, my first encounter with the multiverse was in the Justice League uh, comic books where they would go and they would encounter the Justice Society. I have an entire multiverse, maybe two episodes in the catalog of our podcast as we've been doing this now for three seasons. So I, I encourage you to, to seek this out, uh, and, 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 and examine it and talk about it. But, but it's like having subject matter like mouse, which is de- terribly, terribly serious. And, um, having known, uh, friends and family, family, you know, not, not family, but cause none of my family specifically, uh, was touched that I am aware of by the Holocaust, but I have met uh, friends of my family and friends of my wife's family. One of uh, my wife's family friends, their uh, their father was a character featured uh, in in Schindler's List when when Spielberg made that movie almost thirty years ago. Okay, but and uh you know i mean we we are i i've always been robert kirkman has outed me the the illustrious robert kirkman of invincible walking dead fame has outed me before that when i met him in 2003 my ringtone was the um uh and just go ahead and cringe right now cringe, get it out of your system okay i am a uber sex in the city fan i loved the story of Carrie Bradshaw and all her friends in New York, it just hit a sweet spot for me. It really, the reason, if you're going, why did you like Sex in the City? And, and if you're frowning right now and you can't believe that that I'm saying this, it was about friendship. I'm I'm, I'm deeply invested in, in friendships. I, I have breakfast uh, now about five times a year 
with my high school friends that I played sports with, was on football teams with, um, you know, just lived with, shared space with, went to the movies with, you know, saw every manner from Top Gun to Rambo to Breakfast Club, you know, all of the films, all of our experiences. I still get together with those friends. Friendship, the bond of friendship is so important to me. And I thought that above everything else, Sex and the City really celebrated this bond of friendship. So I was really into this show. So of course I'm watching the new version of it. And and some episodes are good. Some episodes I, I don't care as much for. But on a recent episode, they had a guy that one of the characters brought to um, the character Charlotte is married. Uh, I forget the actor's name. Uh, but but she became, she in, in the original, original run on HBO of Sex and the City, she converted to Judaism in order to marry her husband. And uh, so they're uh, celebrating the Holocaust Remembrance. And, the, and HBO Max aired this on the day of the Holocaust Remembrance. And one of the friends brought a friend who didn't know that he was going to a dinner commemorating it. And he goes, oh yeah, the Holocaust? You know, that's, 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 uh, that's phony. That never happened. And immediately they go, get out. But it was done and filmed in a very funny way. It was very like, as screamed as loud as they could, get out. Like they were having none of that. And then later when they rejoined the dinner, they're discussing how I'm so sorry I brought that guy to dinner. But this Holocaust denial, this is what I'm, this is scary to me. Even, even though Mouse may not be being censored by Holocaust deniers or they're censoring it because they don't want it to touch the eyes of kids because it's too mature. Look, man, there's a time and a place to go to that more mature, more, um, you know, uh, ed- more uh, advanced uh, uh, knowledge. And, and, you know, I'm not talking about going behind the beads of your comic store's X-rated section, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, letting your six-year-old wander there. But uh, censorship of any kind, I'm totally anti, forever, always. And, and so I just want you guys to understand that like that is that is not something I'm okay with and I am not okay with people burning books banning books uh everything used to be it, it used to be like you were free to be as awful of a person as you possibly could and I could either listen to you or not listen to you it's it's your opinions aren't supposed to you know threaten me and we're supposed to have lots of varied thought and discourse in order to help us decide on our own thoughts, decisions, you know, no one mind controls me. I'm always going to seek out multiple sources of information, look at things from multiple uh, viewpoints. That's, that's, I thrive on that. I like learning. I like advancing. I believe Marvel comics, whether it was their scientific, you know, references or some of the more mature, you know, themes that I found uh, in, in, uh, in, in independent comics and, and, uh, I mean, look, Daredevil and Elektra had a much more mature, uh, relationship than, than, than I had imagined in, in the bronze age of comics, which is one I celebrate so much. I mean, Tony, Tony Stark was an alcoholic. It was a storyline that they were too scared to bring you in the movies because it would threaten the family film in quotes, family film aspect of the Marvel universe as they try and continually chase a PG 13 rating. But I mean, the alcoholism, the alcohol the alcoholism story, uh, demon in a bottle. It, it culminated over a year. They, they really showed you how Tony Stark was, um, turning to, you know, alcohol and drugs to cope with all the pressures or the anxieties of his life, whether it be as Iron Man or running his multi gazillion dollar corporation. Um, you know, the, 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 the manner with which Electra was killed and the vengeance of that murder was, was, enacted by Daredevil was brutal. It was vicious. It was R-rated. It was very much like going and seeing a Scorsese film. And as I see my own kids tell me, hey, dad, I'm watching the the Tarantino catalog now, or hey, dad, I'm watching the Martin Scorsese catalog. Um, I just watched Taxi Driver. I'm watching Mean Streets. This is the stuff I've heard of in the last couple of days. It thrills me. They're expanding. They're going beyond uh, the PG con- uh, shows and, and, and films that they that they grew up with. And again, this, this I'm, I'm really, I keep... You know, Mouse is the one that's gotten M-A-U-S, not M-O-U-S-E, in case you're wondering. Art Spiegelman, it is an important work about the Holocaust, about the, uh, the, 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 you know, Nazis attempt to wipe out 
the Jews during World War II. And, and, and it is a companion piece, even though it proceeded, but it can be used as a companion piece uh, to something like a Schindler's List, which was powerful, which was a real step up to a more mature uh, uh, style of storytelling and filmmaking than, than Steven Spielberg had done prior. And, uh, and, 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 and so, I mean, the, the idea that these are not going to be exposed to, to children's eyes or there's, there's a, any city, any county, any state that's, that's banning books, comic books, whatever, if it threatens one, it threatens all, okay? The next thing, you know, you're not, you, you don't want, you know, this certain style of relationship depicted or this, and, and it just gets ugly and I'm anti. And also people's opinions, Imagine if something I said on this show, you know, offended someone so bad that they they then said, I, I want you to remove Rob Liefeld from your platform because I don't like what he's saying because I think I think what he's saying is irresponsible. And 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 therefore I'm going to leverage whatever leverage I have in trying to get him removed. I don't like cancel culture. I'm not a fan. Um, and, and so that that's my opening kind of drop thoughts on what's going on. And I am not a fan of censorship. If you don't like it, don't participate in it. It's, it's, it's that simple. You know, if you don't, uh, in this day and age, I, true story. When, when we got cable for the first time, basic cable, 1981, uh, my, my mom said, Hey, we're, we're, you know, if you come home today and there's some technicians after school, you know, that we're, we're getting cable, we've ordered cable. And I said, Oh my gosh. And I was like, are we going to get, you know, HBO and are we going to get MTV? And she's like, of course not. Of course not. We're just getting it to get a cleaner picture. We're not getting any of those packages. Well, I don't know what my mom did or what, what she filled out or if she was even paying attention, but I arrived home that day, my freshman year from high school, got off the bus, walked home, put my books down, grabbed, saw there was a brand spanking new remote. Mom and dad were gone. Maybe mom was grocery shopping. Dad hadn't come home for work yet. My sister's nowhere to be found because she's seven years older than me. So, so, you know, uh, she's out living her late teenage life. I, uh, see this new remote. I see our TV. I see the white cables going into the wall. I'm like, hot damn. We have made it. We have stepped into the new world. We are no longer doing antennas and trying to adjust the antennas. Yes, people, if you are young enough, we used to struggle. The rabbit ear antenna is a real thing. And I mean, imagine we got cable early. 1980, 1981 is really the cable explosion, okay? Um, Maybe there was a few elite homes in the late 70s that were getting them, but it was really at at the groundswell of the cable movement. Um, you know, we, we, the Liefelds were participating cause my mom wanted that clearer picture. Every, nobody wanted to mess with those, uh, rabbit ear antennas anymore, trying to get the clearest picture and it would change. NBC would come in less clear than ABC in our house. ABC came in the clearest CBS, the fuzziest, the local channels were pretty good. It was everything in, and in between. Okay. Uh, just, just such a, 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 a variety of, of reception. But once cable came in, boom, everything, great picture. That was the, the selling point. And, but there was bundles and there was packages even back then. Well, I figured, well, why not, why not turn the TV on? No one's home. Going to click. Boom. I'm on. Okay. I got a cable receiver here. I see how I'm going to move these channels and I click in what, what HBO is for my friend down the street and it's on. Oh my gosh. I have home box office. That's what HBO stands for. I have home box office. I have, I have HBO. They are playing like, you know, some adventure film. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have HBO. Back then there was no HBO too. There was no HBO plus. There, it was HBO and Showtime and Cinemax. We did not get Skinemax named, named so. So named Skinemax because of all of the sex and, and uh, you know, porn, soft porn that they, they they showed it was it was aptly named Skinamax. Uh, Showtime had that too. I got a clear picture. Holy crap! But the most important thing was I I had my MTV. MTV was there. It was it, it showed up. It it was that 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 pulse was throbbing. I'm like, oh my gosh! I have music television. Oh my gosh! This is great. Well, I don't even think my mom knew for about a month because I was not stupid enough to watch any of this stuff in front of her on Saturdays or Sundays or late nights when they were asleep, I would sneak in and watch. And of course, HBO was playing, you know, alien and, and R rated movies and crime movies and karate movies. Cause again, the, the audience wasn't that vast. So I'm going to tell you when HBO absolute blew up was when they got the rights to star Wars. 
because they played that. They were the programmers were smart enough to go. Let's play Let's play Star Wars at 10 a.m., 12 p.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m. Some days it was maybe they take a break for like some other movie and then you'd be back on Star Wars. I, I must have watched Star Wars 100 times via its debut on HBO. And that's when, I mean, come on. Now your favorite movies are coming to you. I'm sure they have the data of when E.T. showed on cable. Because again, back then, the stuff went to cable after um, being in theaters. And then eventually it would find itself to network. There was no TNT. There was no basic cable uh, bundling of movies. That would happen much, much later. Your 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 basic cable services were so important. and uh, But, but, the, but the, the ability to access the more mature stuff. Uh, Excalibur was probably the first. So that's like eight, 1982, like when it got to HBO. Uh, very R-rated, uh, Arthurian tale. Great violence. Great. I mean, that that's it. Just it was a more natural extension of the maturity of the material that I was I was I was beginning to crave. As my kids are now craving Mean Streets, and they're craving you know the Quentin Tar- the Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson catalog. The more mature stuff we grow, we expand. That's what we do, right? And, uh, and so, so yeah, I just, um, I just, I just don't, I'm not down. I I believe that there's a place to grow with the material and, 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 and there's a place to, to embrace and it makes you think and it challenges us and it, and it, and it, and it expands us. And the last thing I'll say about any manner of censorship is, and I've covered an entire R crumb and a very important, uh, very important independent, uh, underground he had he, he was kind of the pioneer of the underground comic book movements which were much more mature they're much more sex-based uh drug-based that's that those are broad terminology but i go in much greater depth r crumb about the history of r crumb when he did about a decade back the entire book of genesis word for word straight from the bible the bible is r rated you are not handing your kids a PG-13 book. You are handing them a hard R-rated. Song of Solomon is R-rated sex, okay? Most of the new te- of the Old Testament is R-rated violence. Beheading people, cutting off their nuts. Um, as, as I covered a couple weeks back, Saul asked as a dowry to get to have his, have his daughter. He wanted the um, foreskins, the, the peckers of, of the Philistines. He gathered those. He, he, Saul thought for sure it would kill David attempting to. He succeeded because David, David was like God's superhero. Okay. Um, but but just the, the amount of murdering, vicious death, uh, I mean, blood bloodletting alone, it would get an R. But then it goes hardcore into sex, multiple wives. I mean, and, and then the descriptions of sex. I mean, when you, I was probably in sixth grade when I was bored and grabbed the Bible in underneath my pew in the church that my dad and my grandfather were running. And I let my mind wander to Song of Solomon. And that's that age where you're kind of discovering girls and 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 how much you love them. If you're, again, I was, I'll say I was discovering my love of girls. And this would put me in the late 70s. And Song of Solomon loves to talk about sex and breasts and sex. And little Robbie Liefeld was like, this is in the Bible? Wow. Wow. So that's when I really discovered that um, it's not just the stuff they teach you in Sunday school, the entirety, Christ's death, the nails into his feet and the the, the spear into his side uh, to just film this as it is described is R-rated. Okay. So, so again, I just think it's funny. So, so I hope you're not someone who is clinging your Bible as you try and censor stuff. And I am, I, 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 uh, man, I just hope, I hope, I hope this is just a short-lived nonsensical path down censorship and, and, and trying to drown people's voices out. That is just uh, ridiculous. The maturity, the, uh, the, 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 we grow into more adult material naturally, and, and that should not be regulated and stopped and, and, and differences of opinion and, 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 and seeking out different points of view is kind of part of what it's what I enjoy so much. And so there's my little, okay, bully pulpit, uh, uh, got up on my pedestal, made my comment to start this episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, a couple of subjects that I think are of interest and are, per, are, are, are prevalent right now. Um, in, in terms of, you know, all, as all eyes to, turn towards, uh, this week's, this year's cinematic offerings, whether it's Pattinson's Batman, which we've talked about a ton, 
or Doctor Strange into the Mouth of Madness, which they keep tinkering with and adding cameos. And this is a fact because some of these uh, some of these screenings are out there. Uh, word is leaking back about some of the test screenings. Some of them are happening in uh, you know theaters uh, in 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 California, Midwest, East Coast. Some of them are happening on the lots on the studio. Lot, so that would be obviously in California. Um, but Doctor Strange in the Mouth of Madness is certain to be a giant hit. Spider-Man No Way Home continues to drive so much business. Uh, you've heard me talk extensively about uh, how I just believe that, you know, DC management has let down their catalog, their catalog. These are the most amazing characters and they've let them down. Uh, Segwaying quickly, briefly, uh, it, it, it's, it's actually more business than it is sports, but it's in the sports world. But I would say this is a business move. Obviously, I live in Los Angeles. We did not have a pro team for over 20 years. The owner of the Rams, who took them out of, uh, or who, who who helped uh, take them out of Orange County and put them in St. Louis, brought them back. He brought them back in this giant uh, uh, SoFi Stadium, which I've now visited several times just in this past season. My my son, who was with me in December when he made his first visit there, was like, "Oh my gosh, it's like being on board inside a spaceship." I can tell you. SoFi Stadium is futuristic tech. It's like if Apple built a sports gladiator arena. Okay, I mean it's it's because uh, because that's really how it functions. And and late in in a game that I attended this past weekend, the, the the NFC Championship game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. In the last minute of the game, the LA Rams two-time MVP defense you know defensive player of the year um, just you know, a, a mad disruptor named Aaron Donald broke through, uh, forced uh, Jimmy G to give up the ball, which caused a, uh, a, 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 a turnover instead of the sack that he was certain to take and then give the Rams more points. When it was done uh, and that play was over and the Rams then recovered the ball in order to run the clock out and win the game and, and seal their, punch their ticket to the Super Bowl. Aaron Donald, this, again, defensive, I mean, he is, he is, Around the league, in, in in case you're not in sports, let's put it in gladiator uh, uh, manner. I mean, this guy is Maximus Aurelius. Okay, I mean he is he is Maximus from Gladiator, and he took his helmet off. And there was in the end zone a bunch of San Francisco 49er. Both end zones were packed with Niner fans. He took his helmet off and he like motioned them like Maximus, like Russell Crowe in Gladiator, and kind of like, how do you like that? Maybe not that clean. I'm uh, maybe maybe a little more parsed with a mature language. Um, seek that out on your own. But the clip is out there, and he kind of roars to them and roars to the crowd, and it's like it's a Gladiator arena. This is a high tech Gladiator arena, uh, like built by Apple. It's it's amazing, but but. When this is built, the price tag that's reported is $5 billion. The owner of the Rams, Stan Kroenke, has invested this. Well, the Rams made no bones that they were going all in. I'm not going to. I'm not here to talk about the, the Rams. I'm here to talk about the pressure that they put themselves on, the management. They traded away a lot of picks and a lot of the future to get Matt Stafford, who has got a great arm, but had seemingly been seen to be playing in a lesser team with lesser prospects and had, as D- Detroit the Detroit Lions had been disappointing for over a decade, and Matt Stafford was there. He'd put up a lot of stats, but never won a never won a playoff game. So he's coming to the Rams. They're trying to make this all work. They pick up giant key agents throughout the season. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. They pick him up when he leaves Cleveland early in the season. They pick up uh, Vaughn Miller from Denver. They make some trades, uh, and 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 they tell everyone repeatedly, "We're all in. We're all in. Super Bowl or bust." Tremendous pressure. They want to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium, which is the site of this year's Super Bowl. So, tremendous pressure. What am I talking about? How does this, how does this go to pop culture or to comics? Look, it's no different than when a studio puts X. Avatar is kind of the same thing. Fox slash Disney is pouring billions of dollars. All total, all the investment with the Avatar, but with the parks that they have in Orlando, since acquiring before and since they are pouring a billion dollars into this avatar franchise to give them yet another outlet with which to expand their grip on the culture, which means toys, video games, influence. Um, the first of avatar just blew us all away. We can, we can sit here and we can wonder why we loved it so much. I don't, I just loved it. I can tell you why I loved it, but that's another for another place, another time, but I would never bet against James Cameron's mastery of amazing visuals coupled with a very, um, just basic, simplistic, 
story that represents basic struggles, good versus evil, um, that, that we just always seem to respond to. The Rams put everything on the line and said, we're going all in to win. That put tremendous pressure. And as a fan, I felt it all season long. There was no error. There was no room for slip-ups. And yet management just continued to double down, believe, believe, believe. The, the, the Rams went winless for a month in November. It was painful. They turned the ship around. They had a couple bumps on the, on the way uh, to, to, to getting to the Super Bowl, but they are now there. But it was pressure-filled. It was a big, bold gamble. They pushed all the chips on the table into the center. They went all in. And uh, this is how, when Marvel has won, they have been the most aggressive in the past. I would say the best time that Marvel was managed, I've, I've, I've done an extensive uh, podcast that is over an hour on Marvel management and who I believe the best is. And nobody was more daring than Jim Shooter. And I cover it in depth in that. I don't want to retread a lot of what I share in that podcast. But uh, among the big swings that he took was he took a bunch of unproven writer-artists, really underscore unproven, Walt Simonson, Frank Miller, and John Byrne. John had had great success with Chris Claremont on the X-Men, but had not proven himself to be a writer-slash-artist uh, of any particular importance. His visuals were everything, but could he tell a story? We were we were led to believe that it was Claremont in conjunction with Byrne. Well, John knew that he had something more to say, and Jim Shooter let him. He let him leave the X-Men, brought the old X-Men artist back. It turned out to be a very fortuitous situation, but let John fly. John gave them five years on the Fantastic Four. He gave them Alpha Flight, which for a period of time was their number one selling book and their best-selling launch ever. And, uh, you know, John did nothing but fill the, the, the shelves of your, and the racks of your spinner rack and of your comic store with hit comic after hit comic after hit comic after hit comic. That is what John Byrne did. Jim Shooter believed in him. Similarly, he took a very young, wet behind the ears, uh, Frank Miller, who had been, uh, carefully schooled and prepared for this moment by, by guys like Neil Adams and his continuity studios in New York City. But he, uh, Frank got his first, uh, you know, taste of regular monthly work on Daredevil with a writer named Roger McKenzie. I thought they were magic together. I was buying all of their works. Uh, one of my favorite works that Frank ever did, he only drew, but it is not my favorite Daredevil work. All my favorite Daredevil work is stuff that he did write and draw, but he literally would be in his 20s, early 20s possibly 2021 when Jim Shooter unleashed him on Daredevil and he turned everything on its ear and Daredevil turned into Ronin, turned into Dark Knight, turned into Batman Year One, turned into uh, Daredevil uh, Born Again, turned into Elektra, Elektra Lives, turned into Sin City, 300 and beyond. Walt Simonson was doing Battlestar Galactica comics and Star Wars comics and bouncing between them at Marvel Comics after doing a bunch of work over at DC, Hercules Unchained, The Metal Men, Dr. Fate, some stuff that kind of went under the radar, his fantastic work on Batman on Detective Comics with a with a series and a character called Manhunter. It has been collected multiple times. I cannot recommend it enough, but it wasn't getting him breakout status. Thor was, was struggling at Marvel. They clearly were open to a new voice. Walt said, I can write and draw this with the best of them. Walt would give them four and a half years on Thor, make Thor a best-selling book, brought in a concept called Beta Ray Bill, turned everything on its ass. Someone else possessed the hammer and all its power and resulted in Thor being diminished. Don Blake and Thor were separated. Uh, all manner of new characters, Malkith, um, Lorelai, Walt Simonson just let it rip. That has become Jim, Jim Shooter believed in these artists and that if artists were able to tell their own stories and draw their, make pictures of their own, you know, serialized concepts that maybe, maybe he would win as a result. Another thing that Jim did that was so winning was in an entire episode of the, 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 uh, crossovers, you know, company crossovers, the secret wars, secret wars is Jim Shooter's super solution to a toy tie-in that became Marvel's number one selling comic book and that and the event that changed comics. It, what When you see the next comic book crossover, 
it traces back to Secret Wars. Uh, the first kind of mini version of that was published under his uh, dominion as well as editor-in-chief called Contest of Champions, which was their answer to an Olympic competition book that didn't happen when the Olympics were canceled in, 80, in 1980, but they revisited it, they, re they reformatted it, and that was their first taste. Also, their first miniseries, and then boom, Secret Wars. Monster. Jim Shooter managed it, he wrote it, uh, and it sold oodles and oodles and oodles. It was much more successful than they could ever possibly imagine. Number three, Jim Shooter. G.I. Joe, Transformers, these two, if it was just these two licenses alone, Jim uh, took un took them under his, uh, his, his domain at Marvel Comics, put guys as talented and as influential as Larry Hama, uh, Bob Budiansky, to develop the story Bibles that would go on to, be, to, to fuel cartoons, the cartoons that you saw in some cases, Marvel Animation did the animation as well, so it was extending beyond the publishing, but... Uh, the licensing alone and all of the millions, kajillions of dollars that it pumped into Marvel over the decade, that G.I. Joe, which as which at one point was a hotter book than the X-Men, and, and Transformers, and, and ROM, the Space Knight. I mean, Marvel went deep into licenses. They got Indiana Jones. They got Chris Starr. They got uh, just all manner uh, of, of, of licensed materials. So on the basis of licensing on the basis of the freedom he gave talent and the way that he allowed talent to mature and on the crossovers alone. I just go, that's a visionary. That's a guy who had an aggressive management strategy. He prided himself on being able to con to, to convince his superiors that what he wanted to do uh, was justified. And they always told him, as long as you make money and you don't lose us money, we're fine. He, he absolutely, the fourth and maybe the cherry on top was he was instrumental in going to Marvel management and asking them if he could start giving a royalty piece of the pie to his talent because he knew he'd need that as the market expanded and independent mar independent comics became more of a voice and an option that he needed to be able to say, no, 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 you get a piece of this. You get a piece of this. You get a portion of our sales after a certain threshold and the character you'll, you'll participate in for the rest of your life. Those are the contracts I signed for Cable, for Deadpool, for Domino, for Shatterstar, for Feral, for Strife, for Gideon, for all of the members of the Mutant Liberation Front, for for Grizzly, for Kane, uh, for Bridge, GW Bridge, all of them. That that is that is not possible for me unless Jim Shooter knocks down that door. Incredible. So when you talk, I'm talking about business management of an NFL franchise along the lines of what the entire Rams organization has set out to do. And the pressure that it put on themselves. Every move that Jim Shooter made came with pressure. Do a toy tie-in. Well, that's pressure. How do we satisfy the company? How do we make Mattel feel like they're benefiting off this? Well, we need to give them a comic series as they've requested. It's going to run alongside them. It's not going to be four issues, not six, 12. Year-long saga. Um, we're going to have spinoffs. We're, we're going to have a story that resonates, that begs to be revisited in a sequel and beyond. And that template is, is, is something that Jim Shooter came up with out of pressure, the pressure to perform, the pressure to hit the marks. These comic books, these companies are not there for our desire. They are there to do well, to succeed, to either as of now become intellectual property. You guys know I hate that word, IP, 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 to become intellectual property that can be, in, that can be exploited by the, the corporate overlords or to just pure, flat out make money to make money and to pour it back into the comics. So where am I leading with this? Well, I'm going to tell you right now what, what, what I believe, and I've, con I've contacted you guys with this information over and over again. I've connected with you guys on this. Jack Kirby's New Gods, The Forever People, Big Barda, Mr. Miracle, Commandy, The Demon, OMAC, The One Man Army Corps. Okay, just the Kirby catalog alone is ripe for exploitation, exploitation, but it sits mostly over there on the shelf. I know several years back, Mr. Miracle had a critically acclaimed run, so much so that I was not able to access any of the other new gods when I came and I humbly requested it. I've shared with you guys some of the greatest turndowns in my career, and that was one of them. I asked if I could access uh, the new gods, the forever people, and I was told, no, 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 we're allowing the voice on that to be Tom King, and, and what he's doing with that. And, and, and they felt that that was a great, at least short-term solution. And obviously what I'm going to do, I, I, all I can do is make the request and then accept the answer. 
Beyond that, the Legion of Superheroes, we've covered it. Just an amazing run. I've, I did a, 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 a section on the numbers. There's two episodes on the numbers that of, of sales through the 70s all the way through the mid-80s that, that show you a different comic book place, a different comic book marketplace that, 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 that ran under different scenarios that was um, functioning much different than the way that we do now. There, there was no nine or 19 Batman titles. There was a few, and then they then they shrunk. But the the order of the day was the excitement coming from all the different team books: the Outsiders, the Titans, the uh, the Legion of Superheroes. I mean, those three titles alone were more popular and exciting to the masses at the time than the Justice League, which had the more known characters. The really the Super Friends characters: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the ones that you saw on Saturday morning every Saturday for the better part of a decade. My generation grew up with them. Legion of Superheroes, no media. Titans, no media. The uh, the Outsiders, no media. The, 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 these these stories and these titles were, were bursting with sales and great success and great fan favor. And it was a different time. But so then there's, and, and those titles that I just told you, then throw in the Omega Men, a killer title. It was a spinoff really uh, from, from uh, the, the Titans. And, and, and some lore and mythology that was introduced in the Titans book was spun off into the Omega Men. Um, there is just the, all of the World War II heroes, all the offbeat heroes. I just, I don't see that catalog. Uh, and, and again, Marvel has always had more, uh, a more varied library that they balance with greater success. And I've beat that over the years. And really it is, it is my loss because I don't have, and I'm not currently buying any DC comics that I'm aware of. There's just nothing really turning my crank other than the occasional Batman uh, uh, comic that is that is illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. But through all of this, a, a savior has emerged. That, that, that savior's name is James Gunn, who bravely took over the Suicide Squad franchise and made the Suicide Squad film. And we can agree to disagree if you didn't love it, because I did. I loved it. I watched it multiple times. And uh, saw it. Uh, I was not in theaters at the time. And we were actually doing a ton of traveling. In the month of August, we were traveling for 22 days. And uh, so I enjoyed, uh, I had to experience the Suicide Squad multiple times on HBO Max via my um, my casting aspect on my phone or my iPad in different hotel rooms and or suites or villas that we were staying in, or I just watched it on the iPad or the iPhone, but I ingested it again and again and again, because James Gunn is a, just a breath of fresh air. He is, um, you can't really put him in a box. His approach is very varied. He's very unpredictable. I like that. I never know which twist and turn he's going to take in terms of his narrative, his direction, his visuals, and, uh, and, and his characterizations. So he's a very exciting filmmaker. I thought Suicide Squad was brilliant. The opening 10 minutes alone was brilliant. The further, um, characterization throughout the film, the, the, the humor, the action, the, again, very R rated, very mature, uh, approach to the suicide squad. I think more, uh, appropriate given that they are the suicide squad and, and that murder and killing is built into the title of the book. And James Gunn had openly, uh, praised Tim Miller and the success of Deadpool number one, uh, when it came out, uh, uh, and and that's kind of a yin to the yang because uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and its breakout success in 2014, which was seen as by the industry, you may be the biggest biggest Guardians of the Galaxy fan uh, fan that I've you know ever interacted with. If you're listening right now, and you are the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy fan, and that you're like, I love Star Lord, I loved the entire concept, I you know I love Drax, I love Rocket Raccoon, Groot. Um, that may be to the to the world at large, they were seen as D-list characters below the characters that were seen as the C-list characters, like Iron Man and Thor and Cap. When that entire endeavor uh, was was uh, was launched, when Marvel launched their studio again, I've covered that in the Big Gamble um, uh, uh, of how Marvel put together their financing to make these movies. That the banks and the that the the financial sector viewed Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor as as unknowns because they were judging them against the huge popularity and success of Spider-Man and X-Men. Well, Suicide Squad is is way is even below Guardians of the Galaxy in 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 terms of like audience awareness. The the most known, I think important character throughout was Harley Quinn because she was played by Margot Robbie who is a legit 
movie star who people like and they pay movies to see when she's not a superhero. And right now that is more than anything a definition of movie star in uh in 2022 is can you can you open a movie outside of your superhero, you know, mystique motif and 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 that really has become kind of the 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 the, the deal breaker in terms of true lasting impact in terms of your talent and your your sellability of your name and your bankability and and it and it helps shape what these actors are able to do outside of familiar roles. So it matters to them, even if it doesn't matter to you, it matters to them. So Peacemaker arrives on HBO Max, giant hit right now, trending up. Every Everything says the arrows are going up. People are talking about it. He has taken a giant action hero, John Cena, who is in all manner of different action movies, was in probably one of the better Transformer movies uh, in the entire series in Bumblebee. Um, you know, uh, in Fast and the Furious, uh, obviously was Peacemaker in the aforementioned The Suicide Squad that James Gunn did this summer, R-rated. Um, they they had been advertising James Gunn was was had done a, had done a really great job of getting the word out on social media as he was filming each and every episode of The Peacemaker over the um the spring and summer season, and he was very effusive in sharing his excitement for what he was crafting for all of us. And now it's arrived and it's a giant hit and it's avant-garde and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's irreverent and it's unpredictable. It's everything that I just said. I love about, uh, James Gunn's talent, his approach, and it's doing very well. And yet let's, let's think about this. This is the peacemaker. Is he, is he even on the D list? Okay. And, and I'm not, remember I'm the guy that had to find success making brand new characters no one has ever heard of. So please understand and believe me when I tell you with all sincerity that I love the D and the C list characters. When I read off the Kirby uh, characters that I just read to you, um, OMAC may be on the E list. Okay, you guys. So 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 please be aware that I am more than aware that uh, that, that 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 these characters that I love. I've always loved the less familiar characters. I've always favored the less familiar characters. That's the stuff that really, really um, has always got me going. And and that's the stuff that will always get me going because I love the more, uh, I feel like there's more room to explore. I mean, there are no bad characters, just, just not good takes on characters, okay? But Peacemaker maybe fits in the middle of that like Kirby domain of characters you, you may or may not have heard of. And, and, and look, Marvel stuff already has a higher profile than DC stuff. So DC stuff uh, gets also a lesser treatment. But the most interesting part of this and the little sideways scenario is, I don't know if you're aware, and we have an entire podcast on Frank Miller, Alan Moore, Watchmen, Frank, uh, Dark Knight, and how those two shaped each other. There was a real-life competition going on with two comic book visionaries, Alan Moore and Frank Miller. And as they got word of each other's projects, they absolutely did shift. I share with you firsthand uh, accounts of the people who are witnessing this as it was happening, as issue ones and twos changed and the intent of those issues were altered in issues three and four as these guys got wind of what each other was doing. But if you know The Watchmen, the acclaimed best-selling Alan Moore's most famous work, The Watchmen, was originally intended to be based on Charlton characters of whom Peacemaker is one of. Actually, it was originally based to be the Archie Comics Crusaders heroes. And uh, Alan Moore really never was able to reach, he didn't even make a play for him, but in his mind, the concept as he shared in the um, his recollections in my Watchmen Absolute Hardcover Edition, an oversized, amazing slipcover edition that I'm not sure if they've reprinted in the last decade. It came out uh, about a year prior to the Watchmen film from Zack Snyder. But... Um, it had always been talked about in, in interviews and in promotions that Alan Moore had really wanted to uh, base this on another company's heroes, starting with the Archie characters, which was the Shield, you know, Fly, um, uh, uh, the Comet, those the, that array of characters. Uh, he eventually, up, upon learning that DC Comics was going to obtain the license, and they did, as a matter of fact, to the Charlton comic book characters. Charlton was another line of characters, another publishing company, Charlton Publishing, just like. Archie, okay, just like Marvel, that, that those characters went up for sale. DC grabbed them. Well, the character that we know in Watchmen as the comedian was, and, and again, I, if you are aware of this, great. If not, you're going to learn something new right now. The comedian 
was based on the Peacemaker. Now, how do I know this? Because I'm going to read to you Alan Moore's notes because he even says, as you can go through my proposal, right here under the comedian, it has the original intent was for the Peacemaker. So I'm going to read you that. The comedian, again, in Watchmen, who was murdered in the opening minutes of opening pages of the comic and every, you know, the film adaptation. The comedian was based on Peacemaker. So here it says, Peacemaker, Peacemaker, like Captain Adam before him, had been able to continue with his career, albeit in a very low-key sort of way, by virtue of the fact, remember, I am reading from the original uh, proposal for the Watchmen that Alan Moore handed in, believing he was going to be able to do Watchmen with the Charlton characters. Captain Adam became Dr. Adam. Uh, I'm sorry, Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan. And in this Prior to Comedian, it was Peacemaker. So let me start again. Peacemaker, like Captain Adam before him, had been able to continue with his career, albeit in a very low-key sort of way, by virtue of the fact that he was working in a government capacity most of the time. Some of his duties included government internal investigation and a little spying here and there. He's led a comparatively quiet sort of life since the 1960s, but all of that is to change quite suddenly when he happens upon a piece when he happens upon a chance piece of information that leads him to another piece of information that leads him to an absolutely crushing discovery. This discovery leads in turn to the death of the Peacemaker, which happens in the first two or three pages of the first issue. It is Peacemaker's death which involves the question, and it is the question's implacable inquiry that starts to open up the can of worms that is our story. I'll get to the story in just a moment, right after I've considered this last member of our lineup. So remember, the Peacemaker was about to have a dramatic different turn of, of events when he was licensed by DC Comics. Now, the long and the short of it is, right before Watchmen was getting, given a green light, the higher-ups at DC said, whoa, 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 what are we doing? Pe Peacemaker dies in the opening pages of Watchmen, and, and some of these other characters, their, 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 their fates are decided, and they are, uh, you know, they, they are going to be inaccessible to us at, in terms of spinoffs and, 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 and in terms of paying for what we have invested in, you know, to begin with. Like I said, Rams management went all in. We got to go to the Super Bowl. We got to, we're going to have the Super Bowl in this stadium, but we have to get there, win enough games, win enough showdowns, enough playoff games, and reach it. And we're going all in. And we're going to spend untold amount of money building this roster, getting the very best de defensive players, the very best offensive players, getting all stars to sign on midseason as they did with Odell Beckham Jr., you know, Vaughn Miller, everybody. And it worked out, but it was a big gamble. Well, Companies buy characters to exploit them. And the fact that Alan Moore was going to be, going to be uh, killing, compromising, or giving very R-rated uh, uh, consequences to so many of them was, uh, was not ideal. I mean, Captain Adam would be off the table as well if the book had reached its logical conclusion with the intended Charlton characters. So, so DC pulled back at the last minute and said, no, 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 we're not going to do this. You can't have the Charlton characters anymore. You have to come up with your own characters because we are going to exploit them. And in, in fact, from 87 on, DC did launch a Captain Adam solo series, a Peacemaker miniseries. Uh, they they got Blue Beetle, um, who became, you know, Owl, uh, the Owl Man um, in, in Watchmen. They, 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 they absolutely launched an entire new offensive of comic books that were featured the Charlton characters. And they've never looked back. Now, Alan's story was so rich and these new characters so resonant. But again, the comedian was completely based on the Peacemaker, which is interesting because that the Peacemaker had the fate he originally had in a work that I assure you would still have been acclaimed if you swap out comedian for Peacemaker and Rorschach is this, you know, established known entity known as the question from Charlton Comics and Captain Adam is indeed, you know, the, 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 the Dr. Manhattan character. Watchmen may have even been more popular. That that is what I suppose. That is what I believe. Okay, um, and and we would not be getting this radical, uh, you know, rendition of the Peacemaker. Radical, I mean, just radically entertaining and radically offbeat. But look what James Gunn is doing. Aside from that kind of side part of what could have happened with Peacemaker when DC took a hold of him. Well, 
because he was not part of the Watchmen. He's now free to be in Suicide Squad and be the lead of this giant television show, which he is, and it's fantastic, and it's a super success, and it's garnering all sorts of manner, all manner of uh, of attention, and getting more and more eyeball uh, eyeballs, <laughs> eyeballs, getting more and more eyeballs. James Gunn is sharing the success as he should. He is dining out. He is so talented. He is so beyond uh, worthy of of the success that he's 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 uh, he's achieving, but but he's doing it with a character that I'm not sure prior to and and still right now would even make it up the D or the C list as Peacemaker becomes more popular on HBO. He will rise. He could even be a list. He's clearly, you know, clearing the C list, climbing to the B list right now. Um, and you know, the great thing about these, you know, subscription services, you click on boom, you, you get an immediate banner ad, immediate banner ad of Peacemaker and with a prompt to watch it immediately. Boom, go. Okay, and John Cena's face is all over the platform. And so they're out there, they're selling it now. And, and, you know, and then go watch the Suicide Squad if you didn't see it the first time. I do question, you know, what's wrong with DC Comics in that in live action, a much more expensive version of Peacemaker because each episode is millions of dollars. And let me assure you, comic books are made on the cheap in the low thousands of dollars budgets. Okay, the low, the most expensive comic would be a $600,000 investment in single issue. Okay. Those are not commonplace. Most comics are made between 12. I'm going to go on the low end, $5,000 to 25, $30,000. Those are the low end production costs, maybe max 40, but, but this is nothing. This is like a half a day's worth of shooting, if not less, of a show. The Peacemaker is costing millions. It is garnering tons of excitement and It exists because James Gunn decided he wanted to use his creative cachet and invest in that character and tell more stories with that character and pull in another kind of CD lister, the vigilante and all the others. Okay. Just like he did with King shark. So, so James Gunn is using his giant, he used his guardians of the galaxy cachet to accept suicide squad. He accepted that mission. He spun it off with peacemaker. It is doing tremendously well. People love it. It's violent. It's funny. It's 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 succeeding. It's garnering a ton of attention. I've said that three or four times because it's true. I'm trying to drive that home. And yet DC Comics is still giving us multiple Batman on its own. Yeah, they'll give you a Peacemaker tie-in because of the millions that are involved now. But the the DC Comics I woke I, I grew up with had bold management. Uh, that all went the way I, I, I am very critical of the Dan DiDio era. I think it was a hot mess. I think he he would hire creative talents without vision, without locking down. Like he'd get a giant penciler to cross the street from Marvel and say, we'll green light your stories without really vetting whether that story was one that would grab the audience in a way because it, it didn't really take into account all that it had against it competing wise, the lore of that character. This is just an example. Maybe at that point that that artist should have been paired with maybe another visionary to make it even better because that artist certainly was the best in the business at the time he crossed the street. But there was never any vision. The 52 was like, there's that old phrase, throw it all against the wall and see if it sticks. Well, nothing but Batman stuck. 52 did not succeed on any level in the way that something that was that promoted had that much money behind it in terms of promotion and, and, and incentives and, and advertising, it, it, it didn't stick only Batman stuck. And the reason that that isn't a big deal is because Batman was the only thing that was sticking prior to that. <clears throat> so I took you down the road of management. How is it that, that DC's biggest hit right now is on HBO max with a character that most of the world has never heard of before while well, the comic company the, 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 the content management at a very cheap, again, you can get talent to do extraordinary things for thousands of dollars in the comics industry. Okay. Uh, uh, no, no one is getting a million, a comic like a movie star would, or, you know, Grant Gustin getting over 200,000 an episode for flash, which I just read. Okay. There's no one getting $200,000 per comic to give you a comic book. Okay. That they would have to sell a million like we were in the image days to make anywhere near something like that. But that's not happening. No one's getting hired. There were, there were some writers 
that the industry gambled on that, that just, they overpaid and all of their projects cratered and they had to reevaluate how they were doing that business to begin with. But these comics are inexpensive research and development. And what I'm telling you as I challenge DC, get back to those days in the eighties where something like all the Charlton heroes, I benefited from them deciding to do, I bought Blue Beetle number one. I bought uh, the Peacemaker miniseries. I bought Captain Adam with Pat Broderick. Um, Blue Beetle, those Paris Collins issues. I mean, I just love them. <clears throat> DC was a lot riskier, was a lot bolder. It was so much out of the box. I say it all the time. They are so much more than Batman. And how ironic is it that we are getting so much more than Batman with a million, millions of dollars invested in a TV show on HBO Max. Okay. That is food for thought. That is what I am about today. Please don't censor our books. Put it out there. Let people consider it. If you don't like it, don't interact with it. Like HBO. My mom was aghast. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we have it. Please don't interact with it, Robbie. Please don't. Oops, oops. I'm interacting when you're not looking, mom, because I got to see Alien, okay? I got to see Excalibur, okay? So, so I got to see Stripes with Bill Murray, a million times. I got to see all those R-rated comedies. Okay. Um, um, it was like, don't, don't do that. Don't touch that dial. And I did. And I don't apologize for it. It, 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 it rounded me out. It, 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 it made me more than I think the dullard that I would have been had I not interacted with that stuff in the first time. Anti, and I am so anti on every level censorship. Don't do that. Do not burn books. Do not ban books. That is so ridiculously uncool. So, so that is the, 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 uh, that's what I led with. And then again, management, sometimes management, whether it's in sports or business, they make big, bold moves. And we need another one here. We need another one. We need DC comics to, to get deeper into that catalog, expand, expand, expand give us new extensions of some of the old exciting stuff. There are territories in the new world that have yet to be, uh, you know, to be exploited and they should be. Okay, here you go, guys. This is the end of the show. And at the end of the show, I read the reviews. Okay. And, and today I am going to give you, um, uh, uh, a couple, a couple of new ones here, guys, because you guys have been really responding. You, you've, you've answered the bell. We need your responses. We need your love. We need your five stars. We need um, all of the ways that you express how much you are enjoying the show. It helps with our positioning across all of the platforms. Today, I am reading <clears throat> a review from Ravage Ryan. Ravage Ryan gave us five stars. He says, "Fantastic podcast. Rob's stories about comics, both past." and present are fascinating. I love hearing about comics that he read before becoming an outstanding artist and his take on what happened with the comic book boom of the 1990s. His stories have reignited my love for comic collecting. Wow, that is a gift. That is um, uh, just the best gift I could hear. Thank you, Ravage Ryan, who left us this amazing review. Fantastic podcast. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, this is from... Uh, uh, I, I don't, I, I, it's A O N G H A I S 858. Bronze Agey, baby. Bronze Age, Bronze Age, baby. And that's an outstanding age to grow up in. Five stars. Rob, I'm a fellow Bronze Age kid and comic book podcaster. I appreciate how you have chronicled your journey from the comics discovery of your childhood to then turning your passion into your profession. Thank you for sharing your infectious enthusiasm, your industry insights, and love for the medium. Although I am more of a consumer of comics than a collector, I appreciate your explorations into the business side of things and how we are impacted as a comic book community by many of these business decisions. He ends with a familiar refrain. He says, Bud, keep this a macho show and let the Bronco buck. His name is Angus. The easiest way is Angus. I guess the Angus that I spoke. A-O-N-G-H-A-I-S is a clever way of saying Angus858. So there it is. And he signed it with his real name, real spelling, A-N-G-U-S. Thank you, Angus. Thank you, Ravage Ryan, for those great reviews. You guys, I read them at the end of every show. Thank you for leaving them for us. Thank you for supporting us in the manner that you have. Continue to leave um, reviews, positive uh, 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 ratings for us and, and, and spreading the word on social media. As you guys know, I am all over social media. I am on Twitter 
at Robert Liefeld, the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check next to my name, which tells you that you are really absolutely talking to the real deal. I love reading your comments, interacting with you, having great discussions and discourse, and let's keep it up. I am on Twitter. At Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. That's me with the blue check. That's the real deal. I love hearing your comments, your DMs. You guys are always reaching out and sharing your expressions. I love it. Thank you so much for all the support. We have a Facebook page, Rob Observations with Rob Liefeld over on Facebook. Please make sure you weigh in with your comments and your um, your great uh, uh, interactions. And I just ask you uh, to, to, to find me on Facebook. I'm all over the place. I'm in all manner of different sci-fi and fantasy groups and comic books and everywhere. So uh, I, I look for your comments. I love talking to you on every one of these different platforms. You guys, thank you so much to listen for listening to the show. At this point, you know that I am going to wish you all the best and, and encourage you to take the very best character of yourself. Take care of, of, of your your mind, your body, your soul, get the rest you need, chill out, read a comic, watch a TV show, laugh, have dinner with your friends. Above all else, just take care of yourself. These are crazy times we're living in. And in the meantime, you're going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 